Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your great love, especially this time of the year. We we think about it more. And this also reminds us it's a, a time to give. Give to those around us. I thank you that you've given these children to their families and to our church family. And that, Lord, you're raising them up to be givers, to express the love of Christ through their lives. I pray that you would use them in great ways this week and bless their teacher who has prepared a lesson for them to know you better. I give you thanks for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I think I want to. Again, another time here to give you an opportunity to share a testimony, a word of praise to God. Has God done something in your life this week that you'd like to just acknowledge briefly to our congregation? We'll bring a mic around so you can share that. Okay. Um, good morning. My name is Ines, and I've been visiting the church for a few weeks now. Um, I want to give a praise. Uh, I have a set of twin daughters that are adults now, and one was um, very afflicted by a broken heart, uh, leaving a relationship after four years. She was physically ill, uh, unable to work. Um, she was really in a very dark, dark place. And I asked the Sunday school to pray with me for her. After some intense praying, um, she called me that Sunday afternoon and said, I don't know what happened, but something lifted off of me, Mom. And I'm no longer anxious. I no longer have a stomachache. I no longer feel sick. She says, I'm a little sad in the morning. She says, but I'm fine. She says, how about if we go away between Christmas and New Year's, you and I? Um, so I want to give praise and thanks for that immediate healing. Um, so thank you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay. My text this morning is Matthew chapter 2. Familiar passage at uh, Christmas time. I'm going to read the story of uh, the Magi coming. Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you 
shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I, too, may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, Matthew's account in chapter two here describes events after the birth of Jesus sometime later. We're going to see the reactions of the three main parties or characters In this account, I want to describe those reactions kind of in its historical context and then show you how the reactions of people today can be quite similar to those three. The first, Herod was troubled. Rome was ruling Israel at the time of Jesus's birth, but they would allow a local ruler to govern the people locally course, he would be subject to Caesar. His name was Herod, given the self-title The Great. He ruled from 47 to 1 B.C. Now, Josephus said that Herod died in 4 B.C., but more recent, better scholarship has it at 1 B.C., which kind of fits when Jesus would have been born a little bit better than if he, Herod would have died in 4 B.C. Verse 3 says he was troubled. Jerusalem was buzzing with excitement from these visitors for a caravan of wise men from the east came inquiring about the birth of the king of the Jews. Well, this upset Herod greatly because he was already king. And it says that not only was Herod upset, but all Jerusalem with him because the people of that city had learned when Herod was upset, it would be very upsetting to everyone else, too. Because Herod was a really bad dude. I just can't emphasize that enough. Psychotic, a sociopath, very evil, cruel man. He was from Edomia or Edom, which would be kind of southern Jordan region today. He was only half Jewish. So the people never really accepted him as their ruler because he wasn't a pure Jew. And he was very paranoid on any attempts on his throne and extremely cruel. He had one of his wives and her mother executed for what he perceived to be a lack of for a lack of loyalty to him. He even had three of his own sons killed. And he hatched a terrible plan as his death approached. He told his son to have many of the leading citizens of the city of Jerusalem, arrested at the moment of his death and executed because he knew no one would cry at his death 
and he wanted someone to cry at his funeral. But fortunately, his son never carried that out. Herod was troubled about a potential rival. Who's the king around here, me or this baby? Anyone who dared speak of his throne, he was sent into a rage. So we inquired of the religious leaders as to where this child was to be born. He would closely watch that place. He found out it was Bethlehem. He had a summer palace there, not far from there, which shadow cast over the city of Bethlehem called the Herodium. He learned from the wise men that the star had appeared two years earlier. And that's why he had the boys of Bethlehem killed that were two years old and younger. Matthew 2.16 tells us, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So Herod added the slaughter of the innocents to the long list of his crimes. Lying through his teeth, he told the Magi, go and find out where this child is and come back and report it to me that I too may go and worship him. What deceit. What a lie that is. Many today are troubled by Jesus' birth. Some are openly hostile and belligerent. Atheists, for instance, and others want all vestiges of Christ and Christianity removed from our society. They want manger scenes removed and the Ten Commandments in courthouses and other public places. They, They want Christian history stricken from the history books. They want the Christian witness on some social media platforms to be removed. They want prayer removed from our schools. And speaking of our schools, let me quote two university professors, John Dunphy at the University of Illinois. The battle for humankind's future is waged in classrooms by teachers who are proselytizers of a new faith. A religion that respects the spark of divinity in every human. Teachers must have the devotion of the most rabid fundamentalist preacher to convey humanist values. Classrooms must become an arena of conflict between the old and the new to bury the rotting corpse of Christianity along with all the miseries it brings. And Chester Pierce at Harvard Every kid in the USA is mentally ill. Certain allegiances toward the founding fathers, government, parents, and God have made them sick. It's up to you teachers to make the sick well by creating the international child. Advocate removing all vestiges of Christianity from the child's mind as soon as possible. So sadly, In many places, this is the state of public education, not everywhere. And thank God for Christian teachers and administrators in our communities. So thank you, Christian teachers. You really have an important mission field. The media has become anti-Christian. Movies depict Christians as idiots or shysters. And the abortion industry continues to crank out, killing children like Herod did. 
When you hate Christ, you often hate children. You reject Christ. You hurt people. The ungodly often become inhumane. Communist China, North Korea serve as present examples of that kind of a a philosophy that's against Christ becomes cruel and against people and the future Antichrist, too. But most who are troubled by Christ haven't made a conscious decision to kill him, but they're still hostile to the message of Christ and Christians who speak it. First Peter four, four says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you because these people are hurting inside, empty, devoid of peace within They're troubled by King Jesus because they correctly assess if he's the king, then I'm not. Someone wrote the man whose one desire is to do what he pleases never has any use for Jesus. He refuses for God to be God. Herod represents original sin in the unbeliever. Our sin nature Wants to kill Christ because it knows Christ will kill it. And unless one surrenders his or her life completely to Christ's lordship, there will always be that part of him or her that wants Christ dead. Herod had a chance. He heard the word proclaimed by the Magi, but he wouldn't humble himself. He wouldn't go with them to worship. He was determined to stay in power at all costs. Matthew never calls him king again from this passage right here. Just Herod. And he would die a slow, painful death. But Herod failed to kill Jesus. The next group would succeed in doing so. The religious elite were indifferent. A second group that we see in our story, the religious group in four through six, we see the priestly class and the the scholarly class were consulted. Herod asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem came the answer. These seminary profs quote Micah five two, the city of David, the house of bread. The star led them to Jerusalem, but only the scripture could lead them to Jesus. These men knew the scriptures, they knew the Old Testament well. They knew Micah 5, 2 and 1 Samuel 5, 2, whom Matthew quotes. But they didn't get off their chairs. Their chairs of theology and divinity and philosophy. They sit there on those chairs pontificating their answers, but they didn't personally investigate these claims themselves. They're almost like travel agents who know all these exotic places in the world and point other people to go, but they never go themselves. They were aware of the Magi's inquiry. In fact, all Jerusalem was troubled by it. You would think they would have been excited at this news, for they have been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come. And and here's a word that maybe he's come. Let's get excited about this. Let's check this out. I don't know if they resented these pagan astrologers who seemed to know more than them. And that was it. Their pride was impacted. We're the experts around here. How dare they instruct us? It was only six miles 
from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Six miles. That's like from Old Town Mechanicsville to Richmond. Yet they wouldn't go. God communicated to them in a way they could understand the scriptures, the word. Yet they were indifferent. God invited them to go, but they stayed. There are plenty of religious indifferent people today. I guess the first category would be churchgoers who who know the word. They know their Bibles, but it's mostly head knowledge instead of heart knowledge. They look good on the outside. They're not antagonistic toward Christ. They're disciplined and moral and nice. They're good citizens, often conservative politically. They don't commit heinous sins. Yet Jesus spoke of their type in John 5, 39 and 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So they have head knowledge. They know what's in the Bible and they believe that they have it together. But sadly, they will hear one day Jesus say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There's another group of religious indifferent people who don't know their Bibles. They go to church maybe at Christmas and Easter. They're CEO Christians. They call God the man upstairs and the big guy must have been looking out for me. It's just a bunch of religious cliches. Christmas for them is Santa and gifts and presents and decorations. The real meaning of Christmas eludes them. They're content to be cultural Christians, that they bend Christianity to fit their cultural lifestyle. They think because they're born in America that this is a a Christian nation and therefore that makes them Christians. Indifferent people would say, I'm not like Herod at all. They feel good about themselves. They don't see their indifference as really unrealized hatred because Christ demands all. He says, leave all and follow me. And they won't. Now, similar religious elite people 30 years later would become Jesus's chief opposition. They would finally succeed in killing him. Remember this. It isn't the Herods of the world who killed Jesus. It's the religious people. The third group in our story are the wise men and and they worship. Who were these guys? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us very much. Wise men from the east bearing gifts. That's all it says. We have tradition to add a lot more details to that story. It says that there were three, which makes sense because there were three gifts. But we don't know that there were just three. Maybe there were a lot of them. It even names them Casper, Melchior and Balthazar. We picture from the crash scenes and maybe in our own minds of the Magi showing up the night Christ is born to a baby in a manger. But Matthew says that they came to a child, which is a different Greek word than Luke's baby. He's a toddler here. He's two years old. He's living in a house, not in a manger. 
Tradition says that these men were from Babylonia. They were astronomers and astrologers. They, they were scientists and magicians, kind of a blend of both. They studied the stars because they believed that the movement of the stars gave forth messages from God or the gods. And if they were from Babylonia, which I think they were, they would have probably almost certainly been aware of Daniel's writings because Daniel and his three friends, they would have been also considered wise men. Now, many Jews never returned from Babylonian captivity with Ezra and Nehemiah. They stayed on and lived there for centuries. Could these men have been a group of distant Jews that they had some Jewish lineage? And that their families had stayed there and they were interested in the Jewish scriptures, interested in prophecy. That they would have known about Daniel's writings. Daniel 9, 24 to 26 is an amazing prophecy of when the Messiah would come. They would have known Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So if these guys were Jews or had some sort of Jewish heritage, perhaps maybe that's why the religious elite took them as seriously as they did. Nevertheless, the world was expecting a king at this time. Roman and Greek writings of the day were predicting one. These guys were certainly have been despised by the Jewish leaders. And Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 tells us that remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As these men gazed into the heavens, as they often did, they saw a star. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what that star was. Was it natural phenomenon? Was it supernatural? Was it a combination of both? I'd like to direct you to a very interesting study. It's called the Bethlehem Star. It's on YouTube. You can find it there. I it would be really worth your while looking into that. I found it very interesting. This star led them hundreds of miles, probably close to 800 miles that they would have journeyed on the back of a camel or on foot to Israel. God spoke to them in a way that they could understand the movement of the stars. But unlike Herod and the religious people, they followed where it led. The star led them to Jerusalem where they got mixed up with politics and religion. But it says once they left, the star reappeared. Again, they traveled hundreds of miles. No sacrifice was too great to see Jesus. And when they arrived there, they worshiped. To worship means to bow down, to humble yourself, to give yourself to one greater than you, to acknowledge that he is the Lord. He's king. He's God and I am not. Only he deserves the throne. Even their gifts were insightful. Gold being the most precious metal is fit for a king. Frankincense was a sweet smelling perfume that was used in temple worship. 
symbolic of the priesthood. And then the myrrh was a spice used in embalming the dead, prophetically speaking ahead to Christ's death. So we see just in their gifts, Christ as prophet, priest and king. And these gifts probably funded this poor family's journey to Egypt and while they lived there. Our neighbor in Canton, when we lived there, every Christmas would put a big sign up on his garage that said, wise men still seek him. And that's true. Anyone today who seeks Christ will find him. So this morning, I want to just ask you a simple question. Which group are you in? I hope and pray that you and I are in the group of the wise men who seek him and find him and worship him. But if honestly you find yourself in one of those other groups, then today's the day to change that, to become wise, to become a seeker of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, I want to pray, first of all, for the wise among us. Hopefully that's every one of us in this room that we all know you as our personal savior. We've passed from darkness to light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your dear son. All by the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we worship you. You alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, if anyone here is a Herod, unsaved, unredeemed, have hostility in their heart toward you in some way, I pray that you would soften their heart, that they would see that and repent of that sin and surrender to you, your kingship. We can't be the king of our lives. You need to be. Lord, anyone here today that is religious and feels good about where they're at, but doesn't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. I pray that right there where they're seated, they could just pray to you, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. I believe on you. I place all my trust and faith in you alone for salvation and that you would come and fill their heart. And this would be the greatest Christmas ever. Lord, we don't want to be just religious. We want to be followers of Jesus Christ. who Little Christ who look and act and sound like Jesus. So, Father, help us all in our walk with you to keep making progress, to keep going where you are and worshiping. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, would you stand? Just 
Oh, for me. Oh, for me.